We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what's up, guys? We're back. We're going to get into a minor league minute. We've got a great interview coming up for you in the second half. Stick around. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Welcome in to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I am joined tonight by my co-hosts, Joel Penfield and Josh Kaiser. Really quick, we'll introduce them in a second. We're going to hear a word from our sponsor, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go and the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page you know we can write a program based off of what a kid needs not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense it's what does this kid need on the pitching end we can say hey this kid needs such and such he needs to do this or that better a lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound it actually needs to be fixed in the weight room All right, big thanks to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning out in home fi- at home field in Olathe for sponsoring the show this year. Joel, how are we doing tonight, man? Oh, we're hanging in there. Hey, the, the baby Royals are making the last two months of the season pretty damn fun. Uh, I don't know if it'll lead to the maybe the wins that we all want, but they're at least an interesting product for the first time all season. So that makes, A, the big league show that I do a lot more fun. But this show, even more fun because it's guys we've been talking about for years, and now they're producing in the big leagues. That's uh, just pretty, a pretty whole cool lot for all of us. crossover oh, between yeah. Farm Report and One Royal Way right now. It's outstanding content. Oh, yeah. Josh, did you watch the game today? 
Uh, I did. I watched the majority of it. Uh, I did step away in the late innings, and uh, apparently I didn't miss much, but more offense. So I'm uh, I'm very much into what I missed, even so I missed it. I mean, hey, when you, when, when you got the opportunity to beat up on last place teams, you got to do it. Why are we? I mean, this is this is totally out of context. Last place team, the Boston Red Sox are still pretty damn good. Last place teams are last place teams, man. Got to take advantage no, where you can. They are not all made the same, Joel. Damn it. The Tigers and the Red Sox, very different Bingo. last place teams. Hey, man, I'm just gonna keep riding it because it just any ch- chance I get to needle Red Sox fans, I'm gonna do it. So <laughs> I don't care how tongue in cheek it is, I'm gonna do it. If you were an AL East team, how pissed off are you that you aren't in the AL Central this year? Because like the fourth place team is the is it the Rays? It's the Orioles, and they're two games out. I don't of know. As I think as of the before, during the Royals game, I thought they were in fourth. Regardless, they're still like still have a better record than the AL Central leading twins. So let, let me have my fun and keep calling the Red Sox a last place team. <laughs> let me have my fun. That little banter to... has lost my train of thought. I have no idea what I was going to say, but now, now I'll, I'm, uh, now I'm just invested yep. in like super flustered the Red Sox being right around 500 and being in last place instead of in the middle of a playoff for the, mm. for the division. Um, yep. Really quick, I just want to point out. I think Josh got his on. Uh, shout out Charlie Hustle for the for the swag for the gear, uh, making sure we look good for our podcast for the rest of the year. So CharlieHustle.com, Charlie Hustle down in Kansas City, some of the best Kansas City specific, like only in Kansas City, by the way. Because if you had a Charlie Hustle in New York, the only thing they would sell is the I Heart NY shirts, and that'd be it. And like maybe a Yankees hat, but like to have a, a store in town that's like. Uh, just promoting Kansas City specific things is outstanding. They have a Joe's barbecue shirt that is awesome. Monarchs gear, Royals, the the current. I mean, every every team is represented. It's it's pretty cool. Be sure to I check out like the wrapped in hugs. Yeah, and be yeah. sure to check out the new uh, bit of everything show that Charlie Hustle is sponsoring at KCSN uh, with mm-hmm. Michaela Bennett, and she'll be joining me later this week on One Royal Way to talk about the week for the Royals. So get the chance to get to know her a little bit as she's gonna do some do a lot of stuff for us KCSN. That's awesome. We're going to get into a minor league minute. We haven't done a true minor league minute in a long time where we break down the teams, talk about who's playing well, who's not playing well. How did the team do this week? We have not done this in a long time. So in case you forgot or in case you're new to the podcast, the minor league minute is brought to you by Drum Farm. Drum Farm is a foster care facility out in Lee Summit, Missouri, on Lee Summit Road. They do great work, A, hosting foster families on their campuses uh, to live in community with one another, but they also have a compass program that is for kids who have aged out of the foster care system who now need help. I don't know what you guys know about the foster care system. Starting at 18, they throw kids out on their own. They're like, hey, good luck to you. So Drum Farm is a very cool opportunity for kids that were in the foster care system to come back and get help after they've graduated high school. So the Minor League Minute brought to us by Drum Farm this year. Down in Columbia, the low A, fire, the low a Columbia Fireflies – the pitching staff is starting to become more and more intriguing. And I find mm. myself every night, the way I watch minor league baseball generally is what pitching matchup am I most interested in? Is there a starter I'd really like to see? Is there a starter on the other team? I'd like our, to see our hitting prospects go against. And every single night I find myself wanting to tune in to watch Columbia. They're struggling. The offense is still a lot of really young guys who aren't coming around. 
but the pitching staff has been outstanding. Shane Panzini this week made two starts. In those two starts, he made a combined eight innings with 10 hits, six walks, seven strikeouts, and five earned runs. Not great, not terrible either. The second outing much more promising than the first. In the first outing, one strikeout, three walks. It looks to me like Panzini and Kaderna both are trying to pitch more to contact than they are learn to strike guys out and learning to be power pitchers. Not a fan. I would much rather see Panzini and Kaderna both go after guys and try to strike them out and try to be dominant, try to be powerful. But that may not be the intention. Like just because it's our perceived intention, the, the hardest part about minor league baseball is we don't get a press conference with the coach and the pitching coach and the pitchers after every single start. So uh, Ben Kaderna, who I was just referencing, his start this week, five and a third innings. He only allowed three runs, but he got one strikeout to four walks. Frank Mazzucato walked three and in five innings of work. The, all uh, Ben Hernandez walked a couple in four innings, although Ben Hernandez also had seven strikeouts. Yeah, It just seems like control is continually being an issue that we talk about with pitchers at every level. Although the stuff at low A is outstanding. Luinder Avila had a decent start, struck out six in four innings. I do want to talk about Jonathan, Jonathan. I don't know if it's Jonathan or if there's a if there's a different way you pronounce. It, I need to figure that out. Jonathan Bernal. He was signed by Toronto out of Mexico at the age of 17. He is now 20 years old. He was the return in the Foster Griffin trade. He relieved Frank Mazzucato the other night. Four innings of scoreless ball, one walk, seven Ks. The pitching staff down there has been phenomenal in terms of who we want to watch the stuff that's coming out of their hands. The, the the big question mark left is, what are they working on developing with these guys? Is it being more efficient, trying to induce weak contact, or is it learning to miss bats, which they're going to need to do at the more advanced levels? Because we don't know that, it's hard to judge too harshly what's going on. I do think it's interesting that the walks have started to surface and started to become a little bit of a problem. But the pitching staff as a whole is super intriguing. There's a lot of guys who are a lot of fun to watch. And they have really dynamic stuff. It's just a matter of uh, pairing it correctly, sequencing it, tunneling it, commanding it. And so that is the the beauty of low A baseball is, is the pitching staffs down there are you, – you generally have one of two things. Number one, it is younger kids with dynamic stuff and they don't know how to control it. Or it's a college kid with eh, stuff and they're polished. They can command it. They sequence their pitches. And – at times, both of them can cruise, and both of them can get lit up. So Noah Cameron cruised himself right on to high A. He's currently rehabbing, should be back in another week or so. But you get guys like that, and then you get guys like Frank Mazzucato who have great stuff and are learning to use it. So as a pitching coach myself, I love watching low A just for the pitchers sometimes, and, and their journeys, their growth through minor league baseball can be a lot of fun to watch. Um Ben Hernandez has been a little back and forth. Like I said, seven strikeouts and four innings of one-run ball. He looked really good this week. Uh, so next week I'll fully expect him to go two and a third, give up five runs, and only <laughs> strike out a couple. So we'll see how it goes. Been a little bit of that kind of season for him. On the offensive side of the ball, Carter Jensen continues to be one of the more fascinating offensive prospects I've seen this year at any level. The batting average on balls in play is insanely low. You're talking about a big left-handed 18-year-old 
who gets shifted and pitched differently. And it's like watching a big league staff throw to David Ortiz. Like they're terrified of what Carter Jensen might do to them. He's still walking a ton. The strikeouts are under control. He's hitting for power, but the average isn't coming around. And I think a lot of times we say, oh, don't worry about the average. And I'm here to tell you don't worry about the average. But something it is indicative of is not having an opposite field approach, looking to just find your way on base at the plate, and maybe trying to do damage too often, which can be equally as negative as Daryl Collins, where we're up there slapping the ball around, walking a ton, and hitting for almost literally no power. Daryl Collins did return to the Columbia lineup this week, had an OPS of 1,000, was on base at a 500 clip, so he had a 500 slugging as well. I just – I don't know what to make of Daryl Collins. I was driving the Daryl Collins train preseason. I really thought he could be a guy that made borderline top 100 prospect. And he just – we know the raw power is there. Hit a ball 117 miles an hour last year as a 19-year-old. It is absurd. Maybe it was 113 miles an hour. Still, that is absurd. It is absurd to be able to hit a baseball that hard. But it's the frequency now that he's not hitting it for. And it, and it makes you wonder. It's like the bats and ball skills are fantastic. His approach is fantastic. His discipline at the plate is fantastic. How do we get him to hit the ball for more power more frequently? I can imagine later this offseason, excuse me, we will have Drew Saylor on again at some point, come on and hopefully talk about you know, guys like that, that it's like we're they're doing so many good things, but the overall results aren't showing because of one thing we're working on, and uh, that's that's some of the beauty of that. But uh, anyway, those are your Columbia Fireflies. They did only go one and five this week, so a little bit of a rough week overall. But if you if you pick through the box scores and you watch individuals, there's a lot to like about individuals on this team. It's just as a unit not being able to put it together. So we're going to jump to Josh. He's got our Quad Cities recap. Yeah, speaking of rough week, uh, Quad City River Bandits going four and two against the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, uh, moving on to thirty eight and sixty four on the year. So a rough season altogether for the the the, the River Bandits. But as you kind of mentioned, there were some pitching highlights in the Quad Cities. Starting off with Ryland Kaufman had a great start on Saturday with five innings pitched with no earned, three hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Uh, I know that he's been on our radars for the last couple of years, so it's good to see him kind of. Uh, he's had also a very rough year as well, so it's good to see him kind of get back on the horse and, and shove a little bit for, for at least a Saturday night. Um, speaking of shoving, Beck Way, the newly acquired pitcher from the uh, the Yankees in the Benetton trade, had two starts this week, the first two starts, four quad cities. Uh, on Tuesday, he went four and two-thirds, gave up five earned, five hits, three walks, six strikeouts, cruised through the first three innings. He was no problem. Slider looked awesome, just very sharp. Uh, announcer was talking about how a lot of the league was never seen a slider that good. So that's very promising. And that kind of translated into his performance on Sunday, went six innings pitch with three earned three hits, two walks and seven strikeouts bookended on a first inning, a rough first and the rough sixth inning where he got into some trouble, but the second through the fifth were, were pretty solid for him. So Beckway, good to see him uh, kind of striking dudes out, kind of the opposite of what we've kind of been talking about with Kuderna and, and Panzini, not kind of having trouble striking dudes out, but still kind of generating in an efficient way, potentially some-wise. Um, and then kind of a name that we've not really touched on, but it came up around this time last year was Casey Kalich. 
came over in the Jorge Soler trade, 24 years old down in the Quad Cities. He had two saves and two opportunities this year, no hits, two walks, four strikeouts. He has given up three, three earned runs since June 1st. He's just absolutely slamming doors down there for the River Bandits. Uh, on the year, he's got a 2.83 ERA with a 1.29 whip. Um, so we could definitely be seeing him in a potential call-up to add to that, you know, Northwest Arkansas bullpen by the end of the year. We'll see how that all turns out offensively. We've kind of been talking about Luca Tresh all year, having a pretty solid uh, last two or three months, a rough start for him. But he went 5-17 to 17 for two home runs, five ribs, two stolen bases. He's got three on the year. He had two this week. He's got wheels all of a sudden, uh, carrying 11.02 OPS. He's had an, uh, a 1,006 OPS for the last 30 days, so he's really come on hot, six home runs, uh, also 14 walks, 17 strikeouts in the last 30 days. So that's also a very good approach to see. 22 years old, 17th round pick. I kind of want to see what they do with him. Uh, it doesn't really seem – I mean, they got Logan Porter there in double A, so we'll see what happens with him. Um, and then triple uh, A, they got Fermin. Um, they also have – Who's the other other one? I was Jose Persenio, but I, Persenio. I mean, that's just, that's that's the other name that's always yeah. behind the plate. He's either first base, but yeah, those are the two. I'm kind of curious to see kind of how that log jam kind of clears up uh, in front of Tresh, but I could totally see him getting a shot. And then uh, lastly, Peyton Wilson, just an okay week with 777 OPS, one extra base hit, and two two stolen bases. So kind of a guy we always kind of spotlight and keep an eye on, especially because we, we're kind of expecting big things from him. But uh, just an okay week this week. Hey, a seven 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 is just an okay OPS. That'd be a great day at the casino, <laughs> right? Joel, hey, take hey, it's all relativity here. Before we get to quads or for Northwest Arkansas, y'all can if you have MLB Network on your cable package streaming service, you can watch the Quad Cities Cedar Rapids Field of Dreams game yeah. on MLB Network. I believe it's a seven o'clock game Central Time. So if you want to watch these guys. You have a great opportunity to, and you don't have to pay for MLB TV or watch a game from behind home plate if you're watching Quad, the Quad Cities home game. So, <laughs> when is that? What's the uh, date? It's yeah. Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Nice. Tuesday. So yeah, field they get to, and you get to watch these guys play at the Field of Dreams. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that's rad. So headed to Northwest Arkansas, they played the Tulsa Drillers and split their series there. Uh, although one of those losses was twenty-three to seven, which I think might count for two <laughs> losses. Um, I don't know if they threw a position player; it didn't look like it in the box score. But that's just a, a big old yikes. I don't care uh, if they still won three games there. TJ Sigma made his organizational debut in Northwest Arkansas, four and a third, two runs, three hits, four strikeouts, one walk. He's always going to have great pitch ability, uh, but not throwing with a, a ton of velocity. There's always some variety there, but good to see uh, he made a good start there. And then Andrew Hoffman, the guy they got in the uh, the tray for pick 35, along with Drew Waters, uh, goes in there six runs today or six innings today, only give up one run, six strikeouts, three walks. So that's one of his better starts we've seen since he's gotten to Kansas City. Uh, it was a, ERA was over five there for a little while after a couple starts. So good, encouraging stuff there. Uh, I don't have StatCast on it, but Suli hit a ball to Mars. Uh, I believe it was in that Wednesday game. I that That's just how we measure Suli Matias' home runs. Like, nothing yeah. is less than about 430. What planet um, did it live on? What, did it land exactly, on? exactly. <laughs> I, wherever he hit it, I've not seen many balls get up there. So, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. something. Tucker Bradley just keeps hitting, guys. He's still hitting 312 and 851 OPS. Just absolutely mashes right-handed pitching. And – when you hit like that and, you, and 
there's no elite carrying tool, but Alex and I were talking about before we recorded, like the elite carrying tool is the ability to mash right-handed pitching. He might, this is maybe a bad comp, but just Nate eating his way to the big leagues where he just keeps hitting and forces the hand of the organization to just give him an opportunity. I don't know if that's next year, but I certainly by 2024, Tucker Bradley is going to have his opportunity in the big leagues uh, playing uh, in a platoon situation at least because he's that's that's a great role for him there. And Ty, Alex, uh, Josh's guy, uh, Tyler Gentry, still hitting 318, 148, way to runs created plus. That's just in double A. <laughs> and he's still got, and he's doubled his home run output uh, from what he had in high. He's got 10 home runs, had a, a one dot OPS uh, in the middle of the week, is only down to 988 now. So uh, mean, Tyler Gentry, he's, he's slumping a little bit down, you know. <laughs> he's, got, he's crushing the ball. Yeah. I'm curious where he ends up in the aggregate of our, our top or our top 50, but easily a top 10 prospect in this organization. Now. Uh, thank you, Drew Saylor. We appreciate and love you on this podcast. <laughs> and then final, final note here, Nate Webb pitched a scoreless seventh inning today. Uh, so, you know, working back from injury, but that was a very encouraging sign. Uh, the ERA was around nine <laughs> or something like that. And it's for after his first couple outings, but really encouraging to see him strike out the side there uh, for the double A squad. When we get to the end of the season, we'll have Jake Eisenberg, Nicholas Batters, Kyle Kerchival, and um, John Coxis on to talk about each level. The broadcasters for Minor League Baseball TV on the podcast will we'll have a show where all we do is interview uh, these guys and, and get their thoughts on the season. I cannot wait to talk to Nicholas Batters about the pitchers at AA this year because it seems like we, we talk all the time about Alec Marsh, how he makes no sense. It makes no sense how you can strike out 120 batters only walk like 30 and have an ERA north of seven and a half because you get babbit to death. Yeah, just, his opponent average is like two two ninety or something. Crazy. He has like the third highest babbit in all of minor league baseball. It's no, it makes no sense. Mm-mm. It makes no sense. I just I don't know if the balls are on fire down there. Are they playing with rubber bouncy balls? <laughs> are, they, are they testing a new ball down there? Because whatever it is, I don't like it. I mean, from an offensive standpoint, but the pitchers are having. No success. And I need to look at the rest of the league. Is it just our guys? Is it just the naturals? Or is it like everybody at double A? I'll probably have an uh, uh, article on that later on where I break down all of the pitchers in the Texas league and at double A this year because it makes very little sense what's going on down there outside of Ace Lacey and his his issues, which, again, another time, another podcast. That's why I didn't bring <laughs> it up. That's why I didn't bring yeah. it up. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, and also just Nick Lofton is just a model of consistency. Dude, he is so underrated. Why is nobody else talking about him? He's so good. Mm-hmm. He is so good. I mean, he's hitting 430-foot home runs. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is getting closer and closer to one every day. He mm-hmm. doesn't – there is nothing he can't do. Like plays every outfield position, plays second base, plays short, and he plays them all well. Yes, center field. He plays every important position on the field. Like, if you asked him to catch, could he? Maybe. But I, at this point, what are we not no. catching him for? Like he he does oh he's so good. I he is so underrated. It hurts, but man oh man is he good. Uh, mm. Not a lot going on in Omaha. All the prospects got called up, and they didn't really backfill. Um, Tyler Gentry still at Double A. Nick Lofton still at Double A. Tucker Bradley still at Double A. Logan Porter. All those guys are still down in Northwest Arkansas. Mike Hill Garcia to get the bump, and I think it's interesting that they bumped Garcia to Omaha and left Nick Lofton at double A because now Nick Lofton's playing more shortstop. It's like, mm. ooh, 
ooh, are they yeah. were they trying to show off Michael Garcia for a potential trade this offseason? I don't know. We'll see. Not going on, not a lot going on in Omaha. Brewer Hicklin did continue to hit well. So um, but that's it. That's your minor league minute for for today. Brought to you by Drum Farm, the foster care center out in Lee Summit, Missouri. Go check out their uh, farmer's market on Saturday mornings. Uh, closes at 9 or 10 a.m., I think. Uh, wonderful opportunity. they got a petting zoo, fresh produce, grow your own plants. Um, but really cool opportunity to go out there and some, support some awesome foster kids and their, and their work there as their community. So, gentlemen, I appreciate you coming on for our minor league minute tonight. We've got an awesome interview headed your way. Uh, Joel, really quick, is going to read us our tickets for less. If you're looking to take your crew out to the K this summer, be sure to check out our friends at Tickets for Less. Ticketsforless.com has the best selection of tickets for all your favorite sporting events, concerts, and shows, including the Royals. Tickets for Less never charges per ticket fee, saving you big time over the other sites out there. You can save even more when you use our exclusive partner code at checkout. Simply enter code KCSN22 when ordering your seats at Ticketsforless.com. That code again is KCSN22. Gentlemen, I appreciate you. We'll see you next We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next week. All right. I am pumped for this next conversation. I am now joined by Royals prospect Brennan McNair down in Arizona. He's hanging out with us tonight and also... Pat Ellington Jr., who does some work for MLB.com, MLB Network, also for Baseball Prospectus. So, Pat, we'll start with you. Why don't you quickly introduce yourself to our listeners and our viewers and give them a bat- your background in baseball and how you got started writing for Baseball Prospectus. Okay. Um, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, Brandon, thanks for being here. Really flattered to um, get to converse with you and things like that um, about your experience as a baseball player and stuff. Um I really appreciate you being here, all things considered, um, for real. So um, I just want to get out the way. But um, and I also want to thank everybody who's listening as well um, for being here and and yeah. like welcome. Um, but just to start, um, I come from a baseball family. Um, my great grandfather briefly played in Negro leagues, um, and he raised my grandmother to love the game, and he raised my uh, mother to love the game, and they passed that love of the game down to me. All of them, um, they were all in my life my great-grandfather included he um was in my life for a long time and just a little tidbit he was born in the same year as jackie robinson and larry doby um and he passed away in 2015. um so i had his perspective around and it really radicalized me um growing up the sport of baseball was something that 
really helped me understand my place in America as a black man. Um, it really helped me dive into my history, um, looking at how much Martin Luther King liked the sport. You know, he did a, a column in um, one of the um, local black Atlanta papers um, every year on the Braves, talk, talking about the Braves um, when he was very visible. Um, he talked about on record a lot how much he was inspired by Jackie Robinson and um, and he was actually best friends with Roberto Clemente. They were really close. Many people don't know that. And that's, that's one thing that really shows who Roberto Clemente was as well. And Martin Luther King, he understood the intersection of sport, especially baseball and how it could reverse the jour and the fact of racism in the United States. Um, so for me, um, growing up, the great grandson of somebody who was born the same year as Jackie Robinson and, and, and saw him go through that. And, 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 um, and my, my mom was raised by her great, had her great grandparents in her life as well, um, who were born even earlier than that and were actually the, the grandchildren of slaves. So um, b- baseball for me is, is kind of almost sacred in a sense, just because of um, how much I was raised to understand how much it did for black people um, historically um, and how much we contributed to the sport at culture, its history and everything that explains why it's a pastime and why it's America's pastime. But it's also more than that, just for black people, just based on what is done, the doors open for us and not just baseball, but in other sports, such as the NFL and NBA, which are at the peak of their powers right now. That wouldn't happen without baseball or boxing or track and field or things like that. So, um, yeah. And then, um, for, for me, um, my mother was a college teacher. Um, she ran two programs focused on, um, enrolling, Black students in the uh, higher education, one at Ohio State University and one at a local community college, Northeast Ohio. So growing up, I was around a lot of different Black people from all over the world. So um, that was a big inspiration for me um, and how I see the game. Um, and going to college, shoot, um, my freshman year at Morehouse was 2016. I'm from Northeast Ohio, specifically Youngstown and Cleveland. Um, so my first time away from home was in Atlanta, um, watching the World Series, watching the Cleveland go to the World Series that year. Um, and doing so alongside a whole bunch of black youth from all over the world. Um, I stayed in the W uh, Du Bois International House at Morehouse, which is um which is it had a lot I had a lot of four students in my dorm. It was people from seven different countries on my floor alone, I think, just recalling off the top of my head. Um, so being around Afro-Latinos, Afro-Caribbeans, um, Africans who liked the game of baseball and understood what it was and things like that was big for me and how I approached the game and how I covered it right now. Well, how did you go from playing to writing? Where did that, where did your playing career end and your writing career begin? So I actually, I didn't play. Um, I, I played basketball growing up. Basketball was my thing. Um, for me, um, Watching Cleveland go to World Series really kind of pulled me from just a casual fan into an intense fan. Because growing up, I was a big baseball fan. But when Cleveland traded CC Sabathia, I pretty much um, broke off my relationship with Cleveland sports. Because right after that happened is when LeBron left. So, And I was never a Browns fan. Growing up. The Browns have been terrible my whole life. And I'm never going to give them a chance. So, um, yeah, I was I was kind of SOL right there. And, um, yeah, I was – I mean, I, I kind of got it got back into sports by the time LeBron came back and then Cleveland was getting good again. So, um, but, but how I got into writing, um, so my background as a writer, I know everyone's a writer since I was about 11, 12 years old, but I started out as just an author. Um, and then when I was a teenager, I started screenwriting. So author and screenwriting, um, when I went to college, that's what I went to college for. I was a film major with a country in screenwriting. And um, I was having a writer block 
I was having intense writer's block. Um, that was lasted for like multiple years, and so I decided to write about baseball. Um, just to give myself a break from other things, you know, switch it up a little, see what I can do. Um, do it from a unique perspective too, talking about black baseball players and whatever African diaspora, um, and things like that. So, um, that was important for me, um, because it was just a, just a casual little thing. I, I started a series about black baseball players in the majors and the minors from all over the world. Um, each series has like at least fifteen. I've done black baseball players from. Caribbean, Latin America, United States, um, players from Africa, um, profile guys and minors and majors from all over, the, from throughout the entire diaspora, just to make sure that representation gets gets what it gets. And trying to be more detailed, but also trying to um, curate introductory articles for other Black people. Um, I try to make my primary audience for my work Black people, specifically those who are baseball fans and those who are not, just so that that way they can kind of see a, a lens that tries to be comprehensive and accurate and things like that. And, you know, I feel like with my education, I, I have the ability to do that. So that's what I've just been trying to do. Whenever the, the podcast runs, I'll post the link to the thread that's pinned to the top of Pat's Twitter account. If you follow Pat on Twitter, uh, you, the, the pinned tweet is a, is a thread of 30 articles you wrote about 30 black baseball players. And I was flipping through reading them the other day. And hopefully one day, We'll be able to write an article about the other gentleman who's joined us tonight, Brennan McNair, who was drafted by the Royals in 2021, the 11th round, right? Yes, sir. So I know we just got done talking about the draft, and for anybody who didn't catch a lot of our draft coverage, the 11th round in a lot of ways is kind of like a wild card round because of, of the way that the signing bonus and stuff works. And if you are curious about that, you can go back and – and look at our, our draft coverage. But Brennan being an, an 11th round pick is, is pretty complimentary of his talents because it's more like a really early round pick. So Brennan, you are drafted out of high school in Mississippi. You have signed with the Royals. You're playing in Arizona. Why don't you tell Royals fans a little more about your background um, as, you've, as you've come up playing baseball and what a lot of scouts refer to as one of the harder states to scout in the south uh growing up in a rural area or the country uh where i'm from mississippi there's a lot of raw talent uh just playing ball and going at it for what we know and the biggest thing i would say is all about the amount of resources you have and i was blessed and thankful for my mom and my dad and them putting me in every situation that i was able to succeed and if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't probably be the person I am today or probably wouldn't be in the position I am today. Saying that, just growing up and playing in Mississippi is all about what you make of it and not worrying about what you don't have or what's you know here or there. It's just really working hard and getting to the next level. Uh, understanding what you need to do to succeed, understanding where you need to go. And for me, because uh, I live in a rural area, I have to go – probably, you know, an hour or maybe 45 minutes to, you know, play with a team that's really good or just play in the areas that's where it'd be a lot of scouts or a lot of people that will find you and play well. And just going to, like, facilities and everything like that, they're, they're really, they're really, really not, not just a really long way, but they're really far away. But that's the sacrifices that you have to make, and those are the things that you have to do. And if you want to get to the next level, you know, those are the type of things that you're going to have to tell yourself, all right, I have to do this. I have to go here 
and I have to really put effort into what I'm doing. And that goes not for me, but that goes for everybody in Mississippi because people, like for the past two years, if you see the College World Series, two Mississippi teams have won the World Series. So there's talent there and there's people that, that really know baseball and really understand. It's just that it's a, such a rural area. And when you think of Mississippi, you know, it's just a lot of country and everything. But within all those areas, those are a lot of great athletes that come out of, you know, Mississippi. We were talking before we started recording about all the Major League Baseball players that have come out of Mississippi. And the one thing that, you know, Royals fans specifically may not be uh, familiar with, but you you hear it all the time from like Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, when somebody is drafted highly out of Mississippi that, you know, there aren't a lot of players drafted highly out of Mississippi. And I think a lot of times the implication is that that's because there isn't a lot of talent in Mississippi when in reality it seems to be more of a scouting issue in Mississippi. I know the Royals have always had a pretty good presence in the area. Drod Dyson kind of famously a 50th round pick to, to big league uh, World Series hero um, you know, comes out of Mississippi and yourself out of Mississippi. I, I feel like sometimes it's more of a scouting issue. And evidence of this, Brennan, is you come out of high school Mississippi – go straight to the Arizona Complex League against professional pitchers and didn't miss a beat. So talk about the the arms you faced in Mississippi compared to the jump you had to make in pro ball. What do you think made you so successful jumping from high school ball into pro ball in a state where if you if you listen to the the national narrative is that it's not one of the strongest states in the union for baseball. So there, like I said, there are a lot of there's a lot of talent where I'm from, and a lot of un, you know, it's not that no one, we're no, there's not enough talent. It's just that no one knows, and it's untapped too. Is, yeah, so people may think, well, you know, high school arms, that of course, high, high school arms are not going to be the best, or they're not going to be as, you know, strong as college arms or you know, professionally. But there are there are some guys in high school that you know have some good stuff, but a step further than high school where I think for me and, you know, anybody else that's from Mississippi is during, you know, the summer league or, you know, if you got a team that you play with when you go off and you play in the tournaments and just showcases and things like that, you're able to see those type of arms that will get you prepared, prepared for what you need. And probably another big thing is when the, one of my coaches that I used to hit with, uh, Scott Nichols, he recommended me to, to the Louisiana Knights. So me playing with them, that got me more exposure and they got me more, you know, opportunities to to play against bigger and better competitions, not just, you know, getting stuck in the area that I'm at and just trying to better myself. And mm-hmm. me growing up, I, every coach that I've had and that I and that I can remember, they have always been hard on me. So the permanent the basics or fundamentals of the game, probably. Uh I would say it's Coach Gabe Issy Ishi. That was my you know, when I was growing up, he really had the, one of the most impacts on me playing this game. And he taught me, you know, just because he knew that I had a lot of talent and he knew that I was a great ball player, but he still knew that there was always room to improve. And he just taught me the small things of baseball that I needed to know and keep growing. And, you know, I got 
Coach Adam Smith, uh, he was really hard on me. And, you know, some days it would be like, you, you know, I'd be like, you know, just give me a break, you know, let me breathe. But I'm, you know, just thinking back on all the things that I've been through, I'm glad, you know, he was hard on me. You know, he was everything that I did on the field. He was, you know, making sure it was, you know, on point. And then well, my, house, my high school coach, of course, he knew that the type of talent I had and he knew where I wanted to go and he knew where I wanted to be. And out of all the coaches that I've had, he never let me slide with anything. He never let me, you know, if I started trying to get too relaxed, started trying to get too complacent, he would always be able to fire me up and tell me that, you know, you're a great ball player, but you're not where you need to be. And just because you're good right now, it doesn't mean that there are other people out there that are a lot better, you know, a lot better talent, and you have to continue working. And it wasn't one of those things that just tear me down and like, you know, say I'm not good, but he always, kept me towards a higher standard. And I think that's one of the biggest things that all the coaches that I've had growing up kept me and pushed me and didn't let me get stuck in where I'm at. Because I think that's one of the biggest issues where, you know, with a lot of players in Mississippi is that they kind of get stuck in the area they're at and they don't go out and try to find what they need. And uh, can, I, can I ask you a question, Brennan? Yes, sir. All right, so um, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, um, city about fifty thousand hour outside of Cleveland. Um, my entire family's from the south, you know, great migration type things and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, just um, when, when looking at Mississippi and you know how, how black it is, many people don't really realize that there's still a lot of black people in Mississippi, especially in the Delta area. Can you kind of just um, talk to me about um, if anything, if 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 all the black baseball players in Mississippi, you know, if you guys and the coaches and stuff, do you guys network, kind of share a culture? Are, are you guys connected and close? I mean, I mean, as far as um, coming together as a community in order to cultivate talent and and put guys on the right track and, and collaborate, things like that, in order to um, get more black baseball players, get more black baseball players out here, um, get more scholarships for guys and things like that? Um, basically, Baseball has a way of bringing everyone together. It doesn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. what's going on, who your coach is, where you come from. Baseball always has right. a way of bringing everyone together and bringing out the best in everybody. And the biggest thing I can say about baseball, and this from my high school team and from all my coaches and playing with anybody, black, white, Latino, all those people, right. is that you have to have chemistry in order to succeed. You can, you, you can have just, you know, average players, or you can have someone that, you know, that you don't have the most best team or the most commits or anything like that. But if your team, if you if you all come together and you're all working hard and you all going towards the same goal, it doesn't matter who's in your team, it doesn't matter who's your coach, it doesn't matter who your coach, what color you are, where you come from, y'all, you or your team will be the best team out there. Right. And that's one thing that's I can true. say that's that's helped us. As a high school coach in Kansas City, it's interesting. And, and I played high school ball in Kansas City. You know, when I was in high school 10 years ago, to have D1 commits, to have, you know, guys get drafted was super rare. And as a coach now, it seems like we've got more D1 commits and guys getting drafted than I can ever remember when I was in high school. And I, and I kind of think part of that was the Royals having a lot of success in between my high school career and my coaching career. Mississippi obviously doesn't have a professional team, but Brennan, you mentioned Mississippi and Mississippi State going and winning the College World Series. Do you think that those two local universities having a ton of success 
at the highest level of college baseball has pushed more kids in Mississippi to to play baseball at a younger age? Uh, most definitely. And speaking on professional team, uh, in Mississippi, we have the Mississippi Braves. They're, they're the double-A team for the Braves. And actually, for us in high school, if you make it to the state championship, which we were, you know, we were fortunate and we was blessed and we had a great team. And like I said, we had great chemistry and we was able to uh, make it to the big house, which is uh, the Braves double-A stadium. And that was, I think that was really, that's one of those things that if you get to go there, it kind of gives you a taste of where you want to go. And when you play in that stadium, it's big. You know, it sounds different. It loud. It's loud. The ball flies. You know, you got the big screen and you got kind of just a good crowd. And I think that really sparks, you know, playing at the next level. And then also Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and the amount of fans and the amount of people that support and are behind those two colleges when baseball is in full effect, it is crazy. And it's, it's like the atmosphere is like it's really electric. So you got a, a, a lot of fans in one spot just rooting for you and it's loud everything's going on and I think that also gives you a taste of what you know can be in store when you make it to you know the next level the big leagues or double a or triple a and when you go there as a kid especially at a young age and you see that it's a lot of excitement and you see that it's a lot of fun especially going to the Cosworth series if you're young and you're playing baseball and you know you're on the fence about what's going on and you're able to see that on the biggest level that really motivates you and that's gonna be like okay i want to get there one day and i want to work hard and i want to be like them and that's why it's important to set a good example when you're on the field because just the same way you have scouts and everything looking at you you got kids that are you know three four that's in uh, t-ball you got those that are in high school you got those in junior high that are looking up to you i want to be like such and such and i want to be better than him and i want to work to where i want to get to so just, you know, and each year it gets bigger and bigger. And it's just one of those things that's just going to take time that, you know, the South and, you know, Mississippi, all those type that state right there, that there's a lot of talent. It's just you have to you have to really put in the work and you have to make sacrifices. And you have to be willing to make that sacrifice and know that it's not going to be easy, but it's not impossible. I won't quote it because I cannot remember for the life of me where I heard it, but I feel like in the draft process last year, when after you were drafted, Brennan, that the Royals mentioned the game you played at the Brave Stadium there in Mississippi. And I, like I said, I won't quote it because I can't remember to save my life. But Pat, you were talking about uh, off the before we started recording that the Royals have a specific scouting unit designated for. HBCUs and other underscouted areas. Now, as the as a casual fan, I think Royals fans, again, if you don't understand the lack of scouting that takes place at games like this, you may not understand what an advantage having scouts that are that are specifically assigned to underscouted areas. But talk to us, Pat, about the Royals scouting unit you're talking about. And again, this is the same unit that you know, would have seen Brennan play at the Brave Stadium that would be, you know, located in Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana, trying to find games that are underscouted to find talent like a Gerard Dyson in the 50th round. Right. So 
Um, the KC Royals um, scouting department they have focused on historically black colleges and universities is headed up, is headed by Travis Ezzy, um, former MILB player, switch hitter, um, drafted out of Baltimore. I think I can't remember who. I think it was his twelfth round. I think one round after you, Brennan. So that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, their focus is on scouting uh, historically black colleges and universities and also um, rural areas that are um, more, more black in Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, Louisiana, et cetera, that might not get the coverage um, that is deserving, especially considering that most HBCUs are in the rural South and are small colleges. Um, you know, when people think of HBCUs, they only think of like Howard, Morehouse, Spelman, Clark, Atlanta, FAMU, and it's really disingenuous and nasty. And there's a whole bunch of um stuff they're related to you know just being attracted to visibility and things like that and it's not thorough and um what what's what the kc Royals is doing is cool because one um it's a competitive advantage similar that harkens back to negro leagues when um teams like the dodgers the cardinals um and the Guardians, formerly the indians were the teams integrating and and, and scouting the league games first and doing that way before the teams is it um, there's an article Jay Jab did for Fangraphs on integration advantage and how um, taking you know players that you know scouting and cultivating undesirable or less desirable areas or areas that may perceive how they are for whatever reason. Um, there's an advantage in that because you you're seeing the talent your 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 talent that is there is seeing less teams so you have a better shot of grabbing them. Um, you're, you're going to make an impression just about being out there because you know the talent out there isn't going to see a lot of scouts. So that that that's just that's just the edge right there. But it's also um, the culture thing as well. Um, with baseball, a large majority of baseball's history cannot be told without the South, specifically the rural Black South. Um, in terms of um, players, coaches. Um, you know, teams and organization, things like that. And um, and not even just that, baseball's impact on the South too. Um, and the entire country uh, in itself um, means that it, it, there's, there's um, it owes this area to be. The, the, um, these are these are things that teams to be more intentional about and aware about and things like that in terms of um, paying respects to the game and paying, and paying, paying forward and, and doing the right thing technically is what I'm trying to say. Um, because there's a, a right way to do things in this business and things like that in terms of um, invo- involving all of our communities, things like that. Um, so, so yeah, it, I think it's really big because um, I feel like with Casey also being um, a black area because of great migration too, is going to. I think they kind of realized that um, it, it's big, and plus Casey were his partnership with the MOB uh, Negro League uh, Baseball Museums is huge too. So it's kind of on brand with, with the direction that they've gone. And also considering um, how many black players Casey has had over the years, you know, Lil Kane, um, 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 historically. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot there for the Casey Royals to tap into. And there's a lot of incentives and reasons why they should. And I'm glad to see that they recognize it, considering um, kind of, you know, their perception as like the old fashioned, one of the old fashioned ball clubs. There are plenty of teams who have cut their scouting departments altogether so mm-hmm. when we were and also have one example too yeah my bad i also have one example too oh, um many people don't know this i apologize many people don't know this about tim anderson but he didn't begin playing baseball until he was in 11th grade and yeah and you did and, 
And that's a microcosm of growing up black in the South and not having baseball around you and things like that. And and him just picking it up after he got injured in a basketball game and stuff. Um, I know, and that's kind of why I ventured away from it. So I kind of understand what Brendan's saying about the lack of infrastructure and things, especially with how expensive baseball has gotten for people our age compared to years past and stuff like that. But what were you saying, bro? Um, speaking on Tim Anderson, Tim Anderson actually went to East Central Community College, mm-hmm. and that is right in Mississippi. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the one of my coaches actually, um, the, the assistant coach, he knows Tim Anderson, and he was telling us in high school that he didn't start playing until about eleventh grade because he was actually a great basketball player, and mm-hmm. then he, um, you know, he was just telling us about that, and I thought that was interesting yeah. that you, you know. Yeah. Plus yeah, that, so I wrote a story, story about Lorenzo Cain. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I mean, similar to little. Yeah, Lorenzo Cain's another one too. He didn't start playing till he was like in tenth grade, and so. Yeah, got cut from the basketball team. Goes out, and I think that's that speaks more to the to the next thing I wanted to talk to you all about is it just accessibility for kids. And Pat, you hit the nail on the head that it's expensive, and you know that goes for for anybody who can't afford to get into baseball early. It's such a fine motorsport sport, motor skill sport. And you have to, in order to be really good at a young age, you have to have reps and practice and ability or availability and access to all this. I think and it also baseball, takes time of parents too. And people don't realize that. And, you know, our parents got to work and, and stuff. And, and we work until we taking care of little siblings, little cousins, things like, like that. And the, everybody can't, people don't really realize how much time you got to put into baseball in order to be great at it especially especially at a young age, I think it's objectively better. Baseball is objectively better when more people are playing. The the trumpets that the, the Mets play for Edwin Diaz walkout song is electric. And if you watch games from Japan or Korea, they are electric. If you watch games from the Dominican Winter League, they are electric. They, and even in the World Baseball Classic, like they are so much fun to watch and they are so different than the average Major League Baseball game. Even the college game is is more electric and sometimes more fun to watch than the average Major League Baseball game. What? How do we make baseball more accessible? Because, again, objectively, it is better when more people are playing and more people have access to playing, which is why the Royals have, have started to put in a lot of work for their Urban Youth Academy in, in Kansas City. But how do we make it more accessible? How do we get more kids involved with this great game that we all love? Um, I, I feel like it starts with making the sport more visible. Um, you know, for me, I feel like um, it's hard to see a lot of highlights. It's hard to, um, and also people, a lot of people don't know how to watch baseball. They have a lot of um, misconceptions mm-hmm. about baseball. Um, they don't know how to really approach the game. When they see it on TV screen, just, just sit down, just pitch by pitch and things like that. That's kind of been missing. Um, and also, in this age of social media and stuff, we're seeing players' personalities a lot more and stuff like that. Baseball players are a little more withdrawn to things, and, and that's cool in certain ways. But it's also it's external factors from you know GMs and and the norms of the game itself that kind of restricts baseball players from expressing themselves a certain ways, whether it be on the record or on the field. And that's the big deal too in terms of optics for the game. Um, but at the same time, um, I feel like there's a lot of negative activity wrapped around a game that is just sitting there um just because nobody is really showing the sport to people so they're just making 
really dumb assumptions about the sport. Brennan, you play in a league that is not streamed on the minor league game. Obviously, high school and college games aren't televised as often as anybody would like. But from what you've seen recently at the high school level and at the professional level, what what do you think is the biggest piece moving forward to getting more kids involved in this game that we enjoy and appreciate? How do we get more kids to join in and appreciate it with us? Uh, the biggest thing I can say for the kids-wise, you have to make it fun. So you have to give them a reason to for them to play. If you tell them, okay, you catch the ball, see ball, hit ball, then that like – I mean, I'm not growing anything, but you know, your attention span is not that, they're, they're, it's not that, that, that long. So you have to continue, like say if we, if you go to a camp and you have a lot of kids, you gotta keep everything fast beat and you have to want them to have that desire to want to play and want to learn, you know, cause baseball is, it's, it's a slow sport, but to, to what, to the average person, it's a slow sport. But when you're actually in the game, you have to slow it down because it's so fast. And just knowing that and knowing that you have to you have to go out and you have to help people understand the whys and what's the plan and that's one of the biggest things about with the royals that, that i really love is that they not only tell you what you need to do they tell you how it works and why and you know they don't they just don't leave you out in left field like okay well you need to do such this this and that and get it done you know they tell you listen I th- you need to do this 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 and that and if you have a question they'll be like well, this is why you need to do this. And if you don't do this, this would have happened. And if you keep getting this result, this is why. So they they really go, they have a good job of going in depth and giving you the resources that you need to, you know, keep going. Uh, as for just getting, you know, more people into it is where I'm from and the area that I live in. I know that it's not a lot of baseball facility, you know, it's, not so much as okay, well, like I can grab a group of people and go. Yeah, I can't just grab a group of people and go to like you know a ballpark because it's not that many people that you know it's not that many good ballparks because you know. But where I'm from, actually, one thing that they have done a great job as is as I've gotten older and as I've went through, you know, the process and going up through T-ball to all the way to high school ball is that as my community has grown so much as uh, playing, you know, getting the fields that, I remember when I was young, the fields that we used to play on, they was like all beat up, raggedy and everything like that. And it was one year that they made all the fields turf. So then all of a sudden, you know, you got a turf field, you got a nice field going on that attracts more people because it looks nice. So then all of a sudden they started hosting tournaments. So I remember when they hosted the first one, you know, it it was a good little crowd. And then, you know, you're thinking, where will they go from there? And then, the next time it was like it just kept getting bigger and bigger and not only was it just baseball it was uh people from out of state come to play and i think that was one thing that the my community i can say does a great job of just building you know putting the effort in and building um something that everybody can you know have a somewhere to play and as for my high school coach uh he t- like he took pride on making sure that our field was i i, I promise you it's, it's like he cut the grass every two days it's, it's like he never let it get out of hand. And we was always working on, you know, making sure the dirt was even, making sure the lip was gone, making sure that the fence was up, making sure that, you know, just all the maintenance things. And it was only him and, like, just us. It wasn't like we had anybody paid to do it. And just you had to take the initiative 
and you really you have to the the initiative is the biggest thing to making you know people want to be in this last last question i got for you guys uh as a as a as a group tonight and then brennan i want to ask you one um baseball or actually let's let's go to this real quick you down there in arizona um you know now you're in the royals organization much has been made about you know coach sailor and the work that he's put in to the organization i would be remiss if i didn't ask you a about coach sailor and your time in the royals organization but b how has he helped you grow as a hitter and maybe it's not coach sailor specifically but any of your hitting coaches there in arizona helped you grow as a player helped you grow as a hitter and and just your time in the royals organization specifically for me, I know it's like just coming in. It's when you come out of high school and you come into pro ball, you have a you have that high school swing. You know, you have things that you can get away with high school, just the small things because the you know the talent is not that good, and you can easily get away with certain small small things that's not going to work in the you know in the professional league. So I remember you know in spring training, just them Drew Sailor, like all the hitting coaches, everything. It's just certain small things that they uh would teach or they would try to you know they they didn't just put it all on me at one time but just like week by week and you know month by month they would just you know tell me all right well, you, you we, up. You, you, yeah so i remember one thing he would he, he told me drew sailor or specifically and just he was he was talking about you know just getting my hips more involved just on the baseball side and when I first, when I was first doing it, it was it felt weird, and I and it's like your body wants to be like, well, you know, this is this, I don't feel comfortable, I, you know, I don't I don't I don't I don't know if I'm you know supposed to do this or like how does this work? And your brain is trying to figure out how you can wrap everything around it. And I can say one thing is when you're going through that time where you feel uncomfortable and you don't feel like everything is right and you're trying to work on something, they know, it's like they they know that you're trying to figure it out and they, and they know that it's going to take time and you're going to go through times where you feel uncomfortable. You're going to go through times where you feel like, okay, well, nothing feels right. Your swing is off, but you're still working on something. And then it's, they're, they're going to keep giving you, they're going to keep giving you opportunity. They're going to keep putting you out there. They're going to keep pushing you. They're not just going to let you sit there. They're not just going to let you, well, just figure it out. They're going to keep helping you along the way. And they're going to, they're not just going to leave you hanging. And sooner or later it's going to click. And then when you figure that out, then it's like they're gonna they're gonna add a little more. So it's it's just a building process and able, and just with all the coaching group and all the staff that being able to help you. And I remember coming out of high school, the same like the same thing that I'm going through pro ball was um, Travis Easy. He was he was the one person that really took my game to the next level because he saw who I was. He really saw who I was as a you know talent wise. He was like, listen. Uh, you might you might be getting away with it right now, but he said, "I'm gonna tell you right now, this is not gonna work if you want to go to where you want to go." And I, and, you know, just looking at him, and you know, your ego kind of high when you're in high school, and you kind of got a chip on your shoulder. And when you know somebody knocks that off, you like, <laughs> you know, really. And then as time went on, and I got to where I wanted to be, and then each day that he worked with me and putting you know his best foot forward and telling me, "Listen." You got you got to get better. You got to get here. We got to be here. You know, just that and him taking the time out of his day and just taking the time out of his life to help me get to where I want to go. And he he really pushed me and he really wanted me to succeed. And he was really one of the biggest factors of me getting drafted, too, because he was able to 
helped me know just the small things of the game that I didn't know that would get me to where I needed to go. And um, no, my bad. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> just knowing that was you know him getting me there, and just that's one thing I can remember. All right, well, I made it through this time in my life, and I got to here. So me, I just, I want to be a sponge. I don't want to be someone that's not coachable. I don't want to be someone that's thinking I know it all because if I knew it all, I'd be in the big leagues. You know what I mean? So I don't want to mm-hmm. be someone that's stuck up. And everything that they tell me, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to get there, and I'm gonna want to try to be like just be the best I can be. And you know, it's really it's really helped me out. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you about you know your glove work. You know, you played you only played ten games last year. Did did you get hurt anything, or um, was it they kind of had you working on some stuff? Ten games last year in pro ball. Yeah, I think was see last year in pro ball when we got drafted. The season was pretty much coming to an end. Right, I forgot. My bad. It draft was in <laughs> July. I forgot they moved the draft back and stuff. I forgot. Yeah. My bad. I'm tripping. My fault. I'm tweaking. <laughs> All right. Next question. Okay. Um, you've been playing more third base this year. Um, than the shortstop compared to um, you know, that's what you played when you're high school and stuff. Um, what's that transition been like? Learning that and stuff. I'm sure you probably played some in high school and stuff like that. So, but uh, just, just kind of taking through that. Uh, the transition, just infield is infield, but like. Yeah. Jason has his own specific way to go. It's just me learning just another position because it's good to be a versatile player. And, you know, I've learned some things at third that, you know, I didn't know and just small things at third. And just being able it's to helped you out short? Do you think it helps you out short and vice versa too? I think from going from short to third, and like, because at short you have more time. At third, everything's mm-hmm. more quick. So I would say because – that quickness and everything because you don't like a third the, the, the decision that you have to make is like you either got to go back or you got to go forward at shortstop right. it's kind of like okay i can I, I can wait and you know creep into it and then go so mm-hmm. reaction time and everything that's that's right i would say it helps me at short too okay cool um um can you you, do you want to talk about the Georgia uh, Sutter commit at all? What that was like, um the ex- experience you know um the college experience and things like that what made you commit there i mean uh, and you know, just um, what do you what do you think would have been like to play college ball and stuff like that? Maybe in Georgia. Oh, uh, no, I was actually committed to South Alabama. Oh, my, I apologize. My bad. It was I'm tripping today. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm botching it. So um, just my commit yeah. off of South Alabama and everything. Botching it. Uh, I think like mm-hmm. the once you make a decision, like going to college or going to you know, pro ball, that's the decision that you make. Like, the more that you think about, well, I, should I went to college, should I have gone here, should I, you know, you'll get stuck. So, you know, baseball is baseball. And I feel like, you know, going to pro ball was a one step closer to getting where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I made that decision, you know, of course, everybody, everybody in high school that comes out of high school, when you go to college, you're like, okay, well, is this the right decision? I want to go to college, you know. I want to, you know, experience the college life. But when I when I look back at it, I was like, as long as I can get a degree, and as long as I can still go to school, you know, technically I'm still in college. Uh, but I'm playing ball where I want to go. And, you know, when I did get drafted, the biggest thing was mama wasn't going to let me slide or not get to my school. That was one thing. But she, That's- but as long as there was a way for me to still be able to do get like get a college degree because I got my associates um in accounting from Colan. So that's a JUCO okay. where I'm from. 
So I was able to do that. And when you look when you look at it like on a deep perspective, is that technically I still went to college, and technically I still got my degree, and I'm still playing ball, and I'm getting one step closer to where I want to be. So. Oh no, for sure. I feel. Um. Yeah. I understand. Um. So you probably would have um uh, gone to business finance and stuff if you um if you if you went to college and all that. So if I mean if you uh, went to if you if. You, what like what would your major have been? Let me just say that. So my major, like when I was in, when my associate I got is in accounting, and my major okay. when I I'm probably starting to fall, I'll be going to the University of Southern Mississippi, and okay. I'll be starting my business degree, and right, cool. I'll probably start working on that towards the fall. That's what's up. I'm um I'm gonna try and um I'm gonna re-enroll at Morehouse next year and get my business degree from there. Mm-hmm. So. They got an online program. I'm finna hit up. But um, take me to some of your favorite players growing up. Um, who would you try to model your game after? Um, who would you like? Who inspired you? If you I had think any. one of the one of my favorite players that I was growing up was Francisco Lindor. That was like same of all of all the people of all the players, and I have a lot of favorite players. But when I seen Francisco Lindor, he really struck like my love. For, I already had a love for baseball, but he kind of put that. Like I want to model my game after him, so I started wearing my pants up like him. Start wearing stirrups. I started, you know, wearing a sleeve and everything. And I watched. I really watched his highlights and everything. Like, all right, how does he move? You know, like backhanded plays, high swing and everything. And that really, you know, that's who I wanted to model my game after. I wanted to be a shortstop like him. So, mm-hmm. and then of course you got players like um, after him, like hidden wise. Of course, Francisco Lindor is a switch hitter, but you know, at least like I look at his swing from the right side and everything like that. But as another player, let me see who else was one of my favorite players. I can say, Jeter, of course, but you know, Jeter is probably everybody's favorite player. <laughs> but um, hitting wise, I, I think Jeter is the coolest Francisco man. Lindor. Okay, that's what's up, bro. Lindor was one of my favorites growing up too. I, I saw him play in Mahoning Valley his very first year before he got injured. Because Mon Valley is right outside of Youngstown. I went with my great grandfather. I saw him um, play one of his very first pro games. His uh, his his, mm-hmm. his first year after he right got right after he got drafted before he um, did he like towards ACL or meniscus or something and um mm-hmm. and low way and and the NYPL. That's awesome, guys. The last yeah, that's, question. That's, dope. Yeah. that's a dope connection. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. I was gonna say there's a I've I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi, but I got a glitch in your. I got a little bit of a delay in your response, so sorry about that. But the the last question we ask all of our first-time guests on the show, and Pat, we'll start with you. If you could go back in baseball history and be in live in person for one moment in baseball history, where would you go? That's a great question. Wow, that's that so many cool. things. It would probably be um, – I think it would be Clemente's 3,000 hit, Roberto Clemente's 3,000 hit. It was the last one of his career. Um, for me, Clemente is one of my heroes. Um, you know, he had a close relationship with Dr. King. Um, I didn't notice until I started reading about him, but he identifies as Afro-Latino, um, and he actually protested against – um, Jim Crow when he was in the minor leagues because um, he and other black players weren't allowed to um, 
stayed in the same hotel as, as the white players on the team. Um, and he was very outspoken and on record, off the record about who he was, things like that. And as, as a man, as a person, and um, I, I try to model myself after him and Jackie in, in terms of um, how I carry myself and, and how I think and things like that and my perspective, um, especially in baseball. So it will probably be that moment right there. Um, just it's, it's a lot. Clemente, Clemente um, he he kind of gets misportrayed. In, in certain ways for me um and so and he's really important for me personally and and and, and because he's kind of um gave me a lot of reassurance you know his quotes jackie's quotes and many many also's quotes um and and, and that and how i cover the game is um is correct and is the truth and that i can keep going because um people are going to meet me where i'm at that's awesome brennan you got any thoughts on that well, if I could, the one thing that I can really remember that burns in my memory uh, that I would probably wish, I, I would say, I, I wish I was there, was the World Series game with David Ortiz when he hit the home run to um, right and the, and the guy fell over the, uh, <laughs> the fence. I, I would want to be there. Mm-hmm. I think that's one moment that I would want to see in person. The, was that a grand image? slam, too? Yeah, yeah. Was the image and it was a Tigers. Like it was a Tigers suit. It yeah. was a Tigers suit, man. Um, yeah. I, it's it's all coming back now, like because I just remember the Tigers <laughs> eating crap that series. Because I think that didn't they blow like three straight leads in in those games something or something like that, yeah. when, they, when they got folded? Uh, yeah, that was crazy. It's awesome. Oh man, I want to change mine now to David Freeze game. Ooh, I was. I remember where I was man. watching that game. I was watching that game live with one of my best friends. We were like 10 years old watching on the fat back TV at his house. Just going, <laughs> just going bananas, just going crazy. And and that was, that was a big world series for me. Cause that was the first time I saw a black manager playing the world series. That was around Washington. Yeah. Um, took them. That was my, my best friend growing up was a Cardinals fan. So I was at his house watching that game, but that's, oh, man. that's a good, that's a good one. I, that that whole World Series brings back a lot of memories for me. That was right that in the was middle a, of that was a great baseball. World Series. So that was a very great World Series. That was probably the last one I watched before I stopped watching baseball. Gentlemen, I appreciate you guys being on very much. Um, it was a lot of fun to listen to you guys talk about your experiences in baseball. And Brennan, I know Royals fans specifically will be really excited to hear about your upbringing through baseball and your time in the Royals organization. Pat, thanks a lot for joining us, man. Um, oh, I've been, you know, ever since we inter- reached out on Twitter, I've been going back and looking at a lot of the work you did, you, you have done for both for baseball prospectus, and um, that's it's, it's awesome. And there, you know, it's good that somebody's out there doing that kind of work for big national publications. So keep thank doing you what you're doing. Um, thank you, thank you for having me. I, I'm really flattered to be here. Um, you know, um, and to talk to, I don't, I don't really know many Royals fans or things like that. Um, you know, like AO Central people are kind of close. So the Royals are kind of a little more distant from the other, from the other people, but that's fine. Um, I really enjoy being here. Brendan, thank you for coming on and, um, let me chat with you. Uh, I was really, uh, honored to get to talk to you and my apologies for, um, me, me botching, um, those couple questions. <laughs> nah, uh, you're good. You're fine. You're fine. My, my bad, bro. What won't happen again? I don't, I'm supposed. To, I, I got to do better, man. That's uh, that was that wasn't cool. It's all good. It's cool. all good. You, you, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. 
Brennan, good luck to you, man. We'll be following you as you Thanks. continue to Definitely make your way through the bro. system. So good luck to you, man. We'll uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Hey, I Thanks. appreciate y'all for having me, man. Just thankful. Just really thankful to God for blessing me to be here and everything that he's brought me through. And just thank you for having me and just being able to chat with you guys and have a good time. I appreciate that. Absolutely. For sure. So to those of you listening from home, we will be back again next week as we recap the next week of minor league baseball and get into kind of what the offseason is going to look like as well as our midseason rankings that Brendan will be a part of. So we'll see you all again very soon. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com